welcome everybody to a new episode of our podcast. Hey, remember the ops? I'm Courtney. And this is Thomas. And we cover everything from the 2000s, from cropped vests to Avril Lavigne. Uh, from everything from running home to go on to aim the chat your friends to your to following your favorite band on myspace which it's still around and you can do that but i don't think anyone does didn't justin timberlake own myspace for a while i don't know if, yeah like, i don't know if he still does after it was over yeah long past the days of myspace fun side note mm-hmm. Um, I when I went to MySpace to pull up pictures for like our monster and scene episodes, um, I ended up looking through my old friends list on MySpace. Which, by the way, if you had a MySpace, you can get it back. You set the email on MySpace and say, "Hey, I want my profile back, please. Money, please. Money, please." I looked through all the friends I had, and God, was there like that's a whole episode in of itself. Um, because as a dorky metal kid, as I've said many a times, I followed a number of bands and there was this like, I forgot the artist's name, but for, especially for new metal, there was like this very specific art style. I think it was a specific artist who did his or their rendition of all these bands. And it was like this very exaggerated cartoony, like masculine thing for all these bands. And I'm on MySpace now in 2020 looking through and I'm like... These were bad. Yeah. But everyone had it. Yeah. Like, the, all these bands had it. Like, Slipknot had one. Rob Zombie had one. Any, like, Limp Bizkit had one. It was like, just a cartoon illustration of those bands. Yes, but it was like, think like, think like Tech Deck Skateboard. Like, think like that kind of style. Oh, like, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Okay. Like, it was very much in that style. And I don't want to say it's bad. It's just, like, it's good on a technical level. It's just I look back and I'm like, man, this is corny. Mm-hmm. This is real corny. But not, like, fun corny, but, like, unaware corny. Right. I remember meeting people who a friend of a friend met just on MySpace. Yeah. And they were dating or interested in dating each other. And I would be like, oh, how'd you guys meet? And they'd be like, oh, we met on MySpace. And I was like, that's, how do you do that? Yeah, that's that was weirder back then. Yeah. Let's not digress anymore. We have to stay focused. We have to talk about Elizabeth Town. Hello? Hello, stranger. I wanted to tell you the truth. My dad's dead. <laughs> And they're not buying cremation. Was there such a thing as partial cremation? Ah! How can you even say such a thing? Good lord. Things really are black and white. Every day needs a purpose. I can't believe I'm telling this to someone. (laughs) Sometimes the end of one man's journey. You and your dad were close. Oh, very close. I knew him very, very well. Very, very well. Yeah, I don't know my father very well either. Is the beginning of another man's life. The origin of the t- of the term Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Quite literally, this is the movie. Yes. This is the movie this is... that Nathan... Yes, go sorry. This is the movie Nathan Robbins coined the term Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Mm-hmm. Here we are. And to be honest, I am not surprised that, that the character who is the most archetype 
of this series is the thing that inspired the term. Because in the other episodes, in the future ones, we're going to see a few different nuances, some different characteristics that sort of make those other female protagonists stand out. But this one, this one's different. And not only that, so I'm just going to go out and say it. Yeah. So far, this is my least favorite. That is totally fair. It might be the worst one. It is. You are not wrong. It's, it's also the longest one. Yeah. It is the slowest. I, while I was watching it, I thought to myself, wow, this goes on for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I looked at the runtime and I asked Google, I just shouted at Google. This is how bored I was. I said, Google, hey, Google, tell me the runtime of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm -hmm. The running time of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is one hour and 48 minutes. Oh, perfect. And, uh... Hey Google, what's the runtime for Elizabethtown? Elizabethtown's running time is two hours and three minutes. Jesus yes. Christ. Yeah, it's the longest one. And I'm like, wow, this one. And I read a little bit about it. Yes. Because this is a Cam and Crow movie. Yes. And it was produced by Tom Cruise. He's never made any other mistakes ever, Cameron Crow. So I looked into this. Apparently, this is the short version. Yes, it is. There was a longer version. Yep. Yep. Why? But actually, maybe that's what it means, because even when I watched this movie, this was one of the movies that was up there for me when I was younger. Alyssa and I watched this movie frequently enough. We listened to the soundtrack. I still love the soundtrack. That's fair. It's a nice soundtrack. It's a nice soundtrack. But, you know, there were plenty of times where I just sort of didn't address the first 15 minutes of the movie, or I would just feel like things were left out. So I feel like maybe maybe that extra 30 minutes addresses some things that never get answered in the shorter version, but also, uh, this movie. That's fair. You know what? There's just, there's a couple things going on with this movie. A couple and things? I think you're, yeah, a couple things. You're right, because watching this, this is, you know, we're, we're almost through the Manic Pixie Dream Girl series, and I've come to be very familiar with the archetype and these characters in these movies and i think in a way i've become fond of this i've become oh, like oh it's okay you know yeah you know angsty boy needs to grow up but you know what he's getting there and these are some you know despite their flaws and tropes these are some very fun characters and women that i could admire and they go on fun adventures they go on fun adventures yeah. but now i watch this movie and i'm like this looks like... It's a mess. The trope. It's a mess. Yes, this is when it becomes a trope. This is when it happens. We are at the lowest moment of this series, and we are also at the peak. We are getting to... We can see the other end in sight. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like there was elements in this movie that were implanted for artistic reasons that didn't necessarily communicate anything, but were there to just to be like... Like, when I think back to Garden State, mm -hmm. there was elements of the mise-en-scene and the setting and the composition of shots to communicate isolation versus, you know, community and, the you know, the color tone would change and things that inform you that, oh, he's becoming warmer to his surroundings. And there's things in this movie that we'll get into, but, like, one of the main things is that Orlando Bloom's character, Drew Baylor, oh. uh, designs a shoe that goes horribly wrong. 
And that's like a big focal point of the movie is that he designed the shoe that goes terribly wrong. But is it? Is it a focal point of the movie? I but feel that's like the it's thing. not at the same time. That's the thing. Yeah. You're right, because it, it's it's there in aesthetic, but it's not telling us anything. And also, it's a weird setup because... I don't know, we'll get into it. Continue, continue. Yeah, I'd say, like, because the movie makes it a point Yeah. to not only remind us that he... Because you're right, the, thematically, it doesn't really say anything. I don't know what he's trying to say. It's just the imagery is there, like the shoe. And then when we get to Kristen Dunst's character, Claire... Claire. Claire. Uh, I don't know if I'm the one that noticed this, but I think there is a, a lot of cinema attention. Oh, cinema attention. What the fuck is that? Cinema attention. A, when you cinema need attention, attention in cinema. There is a lot of attention focused on her feet and her not wearing shoes. And I'm oh. like, but what? what is that actually saying? Like, there's no, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it. You can look at it and be like, oh, there's a lot of attention paid to her not wearing shoes. But then I'm like, but what does that say? Like, I don't know because it never comes back. Right. I thought that the moment where they show a clip of Roman Holiday was just meant to be cutesy and a little nod to an old film. But that's it. Yeah. And then they also put in Moon River, which I love Moon River. It's a great song. I know that Breakfast at Tiffany's is not a perfect movie, but I do love that song. That's fair. Yeah. So I was like, all right, so it's subtle enough where I can't be like, oh, he's pulling a Tarantino. Sure. But there's enough attention on it that I had to be like, all right, we get it. She wears flip-flops. She doesn't wear shoes. And his whole thing was he failed because of shoes. But what is that? What does that actually say? Like, I don't know what that says. Maybe someone will tell me. I have no idea. No. I was bored. I wasn't. No one will tell you, Tom. I just ended up buying way more albums on Discog than I needed to. You didn't want to buy sneakers after this? No. I, I actually threw them all out. Fuck I said, fuck, fuck these shoes. I'm going to sell them and buy more records. I feel like, I don't know if there's a, a term for this, but... Elizabethtown is that kind of movie where there's something that happens in the beginning of the movie to get you to the plot of the movie, and then once you get to the plot of the movie, then it feels like you're actually watching the movie. Mm. I don't know how to describe that feeling other than you can watch a movie and nothing is registering, nothing is setting in with you, you're, you're not into it at all, and then once you get to the point where you're supposed to care what the setup is for the movie, then you're like, okay, now the movie's starting. Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. That is how I've always felt about this movie. And that's fair, because it... Let's get started. There's a lot to break down with the first 15 minutes of this movie. Yes. Um, it's almost... Like, for I'll say this. You could tell that, mm -hmm. I think, compared to the other ones, this one might have a larger budget. True. A lot of helicopter shots a lot of grand shots big you know like all these movies have big names but like you know they usually dabble in the indie scene right like mark ruffalo predominantly did indie yeah. movies at the time of eternal sunshine yeah but then we get to this movie and we have orlando bloom a very strange apathetic american accent and then we have 
uh, Alec Baldwin. What's uh? What's oh Jessica Biel? Yeah, Jessica, Jessica Biel, Biel of coming right out of the remake for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Uh, then we have a cast of everyone else like kind of fits. Mark Randano. But it's just like, yep. But then it's just like Alec Baldwin. Like yeah. that took me. I'm like Alec. Baldwin's in this I'm not movie. sure what happened with that. I wonder if Cameron Crowe just phoned in a favor and that was it. But even then, it's like, hang on, maybe I'll ask Google. Hey, Google, what's the budget for Elizabethtown? Here is some information from the web that might possibly help. Thanks. $45 million. According to Wikipedia, it grossed $10.6 million in its <laughs> opening weekend and $52.2 million worldwide against a budget of $45 million. So for the time, 45 is pretty decent. I'm actually surprised that it made that much money, considering it got a 29% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, and I, I actually have here the quote from Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh, please uh, read. This, this story of a floundering shoe designer who returns home for a, a family tragedy gets lost in an undeveloped plot lines and lackluster performances. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly yeah. it. I've watched this movie for years. And I still needed to read the Wikipedia description of it just to remind myself of what the actual plot is and how to describe it. Yeah, because mm -hmm. uh, I'll tell you that a lot of it doesn't add up. The chemistry doesn't like that. You know, say what I, you know, take what I said about my criticisms of Garden State. It fits. Like when Zach Braff gets home, you feel like he belongs. You feel that sense of like he is part of this family. I was just gonna say, I feel like we, in comparison to this movie, we were really harsh on Garden State, but I mean that in the best way possible. I mean, as in like, this is the start of this thing. This is the start of my interest in these kinds of movies. Let's go through it with a fine tooth comb. And I knew leading up to this episode, the things that we wanted from Garden State we're going to be handled very differently in Elizabethtown. And now that we've hit Elizabethtown, I'm like, you know what? We, we were kind of cruel on Garden State. We, we, we were. We were scrupulous with Garden State. Yeah. In a way that I think is good, but also uh, just know that we still really like Garden State. I still love Garden State. This movie, I don't know if I need to watch it again for another 10 years. No. Yeah. Um, so to give a quick idea of what happens in the beginning we see orlando bloom on a very expensive helicopter shot getting to work everyone's looking at him and he looks anxious and we get his narration turns out he's a shoe designer like we've said mm -hmm. and he designed a shoe that that flopped well i think the 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 first shot is actually like the recall of all the shoes yeah it's the truck come in with the shoes yep and uh, so we get that he fucked up big time. And he says a couple things in his narration, and I forgot. But <laughs> he talks about greatness failure. and failure. Yeah. That's really obnoxious. Yeah. And he's like, there's a difference between failure and... A fiasco. A fiasco. Yeah, a fiasco is like... A thousand times a failure yeah and we get this lead up that he's gonna see his boss the scenery for this is like it's this is why it feels out of place and maybe it was an artistic choice to be like 
you compare this grand, like, like expensive, high-tech environment and scenery that he comes from to the humble beginnings of his life, but it still doesn't necessarily fit for me. It doesn't fit at all because no. you never really see these characters again. They show one conversation over the phone with Jessica Biel, maybe a few more minutes into the movie, but literally they could have just been apart for that entire thing and they just call Jessica Biel and say, we still need you to do like one more phone call scene and then that's it. Yeah. So we gather that he's dating uh, Jessica Biel. She also works for this big company. He's dedicated to this big company, but he fucked up real bad. A couple billion dollars. Actually, no, I think it's a couple million. It's that's... under a billion. It's just but under it, a billion. But it rounds up to a billion. Yeah. Because that's a big point that Alec Baldwin makes, his boss, when he has this five-minute scene with Alec Baldwin where it's just Alec Baldwin kind of stealing the show. Of course. You can't have Alec Baldwin just step in and not steal the show. That's fair. Yeah. He, you know, I did get anxious because at any moment I thought Alec Baldwin's going to scream. That's what I do like about his delivery in this part. And that's probably the only thing that ever had me remember him is he has a really great texture to the way he speaks. Oh, yeah. And he relies heavily on that in this role. And that's all he's got. Yeah. So he's, you're thinking he's going to rip this kid apart, but he tells them like, hey, what you could do for me is you can, you know, talk to the press, talk to this, talk to this reporter and give him your story on why you fucked up. Fall on your sword, basically. All on your sword. And Orlando Bloom, I'm just going to call him Orlando Bloom. I know his yeah. name is Drew. No, it doesn't matter. Drew Baylor. It really does. Oh, God. It's such a... It's another one of those names. At least Joel Barish had some interest in it. Yeah. Drew Baylor. Drew Baylor. So, Orlando Baylor. Orlando Baylor. <laughs> Drew Bloom. He, he leaves and goes back to his apartment. Uh, and he makes... I love... He, he, this. This part was kind of funny. He builds this contraption out of an exercise bike to kill himself. Right. <laughs> Where as he rides the bike, the knife stabs him repeatedly and he will die. That's but the he plan. Is, that is the plan. But he is saved by faulty design in the tape. You get it? Because faulty design in the shoe. His failure saves him from suicide. Ugh, fine. Whatever. <laughs> Great. And it's his sister. It's a sister played by Judy Greer who's like, hey, uh, you need to come home. Dad's gone. And that sets up the return of Orlando Baylor to Kentucky? Kentucky, yeah. Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Kentucky Elizabethtown, Kentucky. The namesake of the movie. Where, because he is the professional of the family, he has to be put in charge of dealing with everything with his in his father's hometown with the family and the locals okay so before we get into that part of it i want to touch on a few problems i have with the first 15 minutes of it and then uh i'm gonna mention judy greer because i'm wearing my shirt but yes my issue with the first 15 minutes and i've always had these issues with this movie a couple uh more questions that i have have developed after i watched it yesterday but my biggest issue with the shoe 
is they never explain why it's recalled. Just give me a shitty reason. Nobody liked the design. It does look like a stingray, which I don't remember being so literal in the movie. They never explain it. And throughout the entire movie, he talks about how he ruins this huge company, this like Adidas-like company with one shoe. And they never explain why. And then also, if Alec Baldwin is so rich that the company can afford a basketball team, all of this fancy art by famous artists, and an environmental team, like, my issue is a company this big would not completely fall apart because of one bad shoe design. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Also... You know, there are things called focus groups. You can't, I just don't see a company of this stature relying just on one shoe designer. But from some kid. Yeah, just a kid. He's just a kid. Yeah. Like, he's not Alec Baldwin. Wouldn't this be Alec Baldwin's, like, job? Right. And I, I don't think that it would be enough to ruin an entire company. And then he spends the rest of the movie, like, up to... From this point on, he keeps saying, I'm fine, because he doesn't want anybody to see that he's humiliated over this. But it's like, it just seems like sad white boy problems to me. Yeah, sad white boy problems that, um, despite being let go, still has plenty of money to enjoy this road trip and all these... That, that, that's what right. I thought about during this movie. I'm like... This movie can only be told from the perspective of somebody who's got a comfortable enough life to be able to afford not working. Right. He's got a support system. I bet if he went back to Kentucky and told them, like, I need to stay here while I figure things out, they'd be like, oh, my God, yes, stay for as long as you like. Like The way they make Elizabeth Town, like, the way they present Elizabeth Town, someone like that could essentially run Elizabeth Town. I, w- I would love to live in a place like Elizabeth Town. It seems adorable. Yeah. That bothered me. For the whole first 15 minutes of the movie. And I guess for the rest of the movie. I, I never understood what they recalled about the shoe. And then we get to Judy Greer. I'm currently wearing my shirt that says Judy Greer should have been the lead. It's a shirt designed by a company called superyaki.com. They have great shirts. One of them says a film by Nora Ephron. Nice. I have another shirt that says Jennifer Garner and Judy Greer. And the whole thing is that Judy Greer... It deserves so much more than she's ever given. And this movie in particular really shines a light on that. Oh, yeah. Especially, I would say, in the aughts. Because yeah. I first encountered Judy Greer in um, 13 Going on 30. Same. I've always loved Judy Greer. She's fantastic. She, she's hilarious. Like, she's she's hilarious in Archer. She's got a really cool role in the new Halloween movies. And I, every time I see her, it's a delight. And I'm just like, God, in the aughts. Because I remember her in all these movies. But she was never, like, the spotlight role. No, she's always the sister, the best friend, the co-worker who's minuscule and mousy. But she always gives these, like, knockout performances. Meanwhile, her role in the movie... Like, there's a moment where she calls Orlando Baylor. I'm just going to keep calling him Orlando Baylor. Orlando Baylor. She calls Orlando Baylor, and is she... Because the movie, he goes down to fix things out in Elizabethtown while his sister 
and his mom stays in uh, California. And she calls him up and she's worried about their mother because their mother is like picking up all these new tasks and responsibilities. And it's like, oh, I'm going to learn to dance. Played by an amazing Susan Sarandon. The incredible Susan Sarandon. My goodness. I mean, her back must be exhausted from carrying the weight of this movie. Yes. And she carried all of it in the span of five minutes. All of it. God bless her. But, but like... Judy Greer has a breakdown moment mm -hmm. and I'm like I want to follow this character right this movie should be about the two of them and how she manages taking care of a toddler and also grieving and also managing her mom's uh grieving as well yeah you have this adult character trying to figure out and mourn for herself while also handling her mom going through like this whole new phase of like, well, what do I do now? And it's like, that's a, like, that's a story I want to know. Like, I want to mm -hmm. follow that story, not sad boy Orlando Baylor. Yeah. Stealing alcohol from his hotel neighbors. I, I do love that part. I, it's a much needed moment. I do love the hotel neighbors. Yes. But the I thing, forgot their names. But... Chuck and Cindy. Chuck and Cindy. So the thing about like Judy Greer's role in this movie and literally every other movie she's been in at this point is the part where she says, you need to take care of this. It literally just, you can almost see the protagonist role being like lifted out of her character and being bestowed upon Orlando Baylor. Orlando Baylor was always going to be the lead, but as soon as Judy Greer says, you need to take care of this, you're the only one who can do it. I'm like, why? This guy messed up a shoe. Who knows what else he's going to mess up? He's going to mess up everything. You want to send him? So it just makes me sad. And I know that um, I really want to read her collection of essays. I don't know what you know me from Confessions of a Co-Star, because obviously she's aware of it too. And just, I mean, we're going to say it again throughout this entire episode, is that Susan Sarandon and Judy Greer deserved much better for this movie. I want their movie. I want their movie, too. Can we make their movie? I've actually been, like, wanting to write about my own experiences in this situation as well. So, yeah, we could do that. Please, and then we'll ship it to Judy Greer and be like, let's make this movie. Yes, we want Judy Greer. Judy Greer, Susan Sarandon. So uh, they agree that he's got to go take care of this. And the thing that I, and once again, Susan Sarandon steals the scene when they're going to the airport and they're talking about the things that need to get done and what Orlando Baylor needs to go get. At one point, Susan Sarandon just says, oh my God, I'm a widow. I'm a widow. And that moment I do really love because she, she feels it so realistically. And that is a very real moment that feels very authentic. But then we get stuck with Orlando Baylor. Yeah. Um, uh, and this, now, now we're at the plane, right? Like the yeah. overnight flight. Um, okay, so I think I have to throw back to Garden State when mm -hmm. at that point I'm like, yeah, he's just in this clinic and out of nowhere a girl shows up. Um, right. At least in that movie, there's context for it to make sense. Right. There's, there's, there's actually like something that initiates the conversation. Mm -hmm. It may be dumb, 
but there is something that happens that allows for two characters to interact. Right. It might not feel like it feels very heavy handed with Garden State because obviously they need to introduce her somehow. But at least it's in a scenario where it could be believable. Yeah. And like you said, it gives context to why she would be there in the first place. Um, in this movie, he's just sad and on a plane. And like, just like the caricature, she literally drops from the heavens. Beautiful. Well, I, I have nothing against. I actually really like Kristen Dunst. Um, Kirsten Dunst is a big thing in our family. We really like Kirsten Dunst. And I think on her sake, like as a movie actress trying to pick up roles, you know, I wonder if she was thinking when she did this, okay, this could be a fun character, but also why do I have to pick these characters? Why can't I have something with more meat on its bones? Yeah. Yeah. She literally swoops down from the sky. And by sky, I mean they're on a plane. With an accent that keeps coming back and forth. Yep, and yeah. she just drops in on Orlando Baylor and says, Hey, you're sad. I'm gonna make your life better. I'm whimsical. I'm whimsical. We're gonna give you first class because I don't want to walk to coach. Yeah, and he should just accept it. It's kind of rude of him to be like, I'm fine, I'm fine. It's not about you, Orlando. Orlando Baylor. People are working around you. It's not just about you. That's the thing that bothers me about how often he says, I'm fine. 50% of the time, and I'm being generous, 50% of the time, nobody cares. No. Yeah. Nobody cares if you're fine. You keep saying it because you're not fine. Yeah, and that's what got to me is that we have to assume that her immediate fascination with him has to be based on very surface level arbitrary like attraction mm -hmm. because whereas like with garden state it may be heavy-handed but at least there's context to be like this is a really funny scenario i'm going to talk to this dork in elizabethtown it's quite literally i was going on some tangent i don't remember <laughs> how do i not remember um all right yeah but i did i already mentioned the mm -hmm. whole like airplane thing and both movies yeah. have airplanes in them that's right. Yeah. But I mean, like, I think obviously, like, hang on. Uh, hey, Google, what was the budget for Garden State? Garden State had a budget of $2,500,000. That's wow. it? Wow. <laughs> oh, thank you, Google. Uh, Google is a, a new co-host on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Google. <laughs> um, That does really make me appreciate Garden State on the level that he was able to stretch out his budget for so much more and get so much more out of it. Yeah. Um, than Cameron Crowe did with his budget. It, it feels like Cameron Crowe watched Garden State and said, I can do that right. with a bigger budget. Right. Because they are similar themes. And the thing that we wanted from Garden State is... We wanted more about the family dynamic and family grieving. And this movie goes into that a lot more. It plays a bigger role in it. And those are the scenes I do still really like. Yeah, no, then that's a weird thing is that, like, this movie will go into more of the family dynamic and more of the struggle mm -hmm. between, like, their father's family and Susan Sarandon. 
And it's like, if the movie was more about this, it'd be great. But then all of a sudden we get thrown back into the romance and it's like, oh yeah, this is a plot here too. Like this is somehow here. Right. It's like both movies cover themes of feeling like they have not done enough with their lives. The protagonist feeling like they have not done enough with their lives. Coming home for a funeral of a parent and also a budding new relationship and um, an emotional and mental state when they should probably not be looking into a new relationship. But where Garden State sort of dabbles in the funeral and then continues more solely as a romantic movie, this one I feel like does spend more time on the family and the grieving act. Uh, act concept but then sort of dabbles in a romance like they're doing too many films in one yeah it's literally two movies combined with not enough attention because that's the thing like we've we've already talked about some amazing performances Mm -hmm. and in a concentrated movie about that character that would be amazing but we're we're stuck with orlando baylor and then throw in there that he uh apparently completely tanked a company like adidas Yeah, it's not like he failed at life. He literally, like, had it all and lost it. Yeah. But not even lost it. He just decided to give up. Yeah. It's not like he decided to go look for some other jobs. He's just like, oh, I failed big time. It's like, okay, you're fine. Your life is fine. And it's like, yeah, it's shitty timing that, uh, you know, his dad passes away shortly after this big recalled fiasco but at the same time it seems like he's just so mentally focused on that aspect that he doesn't really acknowledge that his dad is dead yeah and there's no connection between the two like there's usually if you like you watch a movie or you hear a story about like you know tough at work you know, tough as nails, they're really being exploitive, but something personal happens and you have to overcome that and tell, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, it's a different story where you need to focus on something personally. And in order to do that, you have to assert yourself and put yourself above work. Right. But this movie completely detaches the two. Yeah. So it's like, we never have that moment where like, Alec Baldwin's calling him up and says, we'll give you an opportunity, but you have to come right now, you know? And then he's like, no, but my, you know, my, I'm at my father's funeral. There's never that con like conflict. So it's literally like, also, yeah. Also, you know, he gets the phone call from his sister and then he keeps saying that after this, he's still going to kill himself. That's selfish. It's very selfish because already his family has to deal with the trauma of losing the patriarch. And then he's just like, well, I'm going to kill myself after this. And it's like, no, no, sir. So casual about it, like as if it's like, all right, I'll do you this one favor. But as soon as I'm done, I'm going back to get my burger. Like it's so casual. Like I think there's a huge difference between an obligation that you want to keep and suicide. Right. And it actually makes me more okay with Zach Braff's Andrew saying, like, I'm so fucked up right now. I've got to figure myself out. Even if he does still, you know, start a new relationship, at least he's acknowledging something needs to be worked out here. Orlando Baylor kind of has a little bit more of that, like, emo element to him where when he's confronted by 
Claire, he says, I have a dark date with destiny after this. And it's like, no, no, sir. That's not what this is. You're making it sound way too poetic and also very melodramatic. Nobody's going to take this seriously. It's also like yeah. wrong movie, dude. You're the, that was the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Right. Exactly. Yeah. In, in, that, in that movie, wasn't there also like he lost his father in that too? His father was one of the sea people on Davy Jones's boat. Oh, was his dad Coral Reef Man? Part of the crew, part of the ship. He was the Coral Reef Man. I loved Bill Nighy in those movies. He's also an unsung character in those because he plays yes. Davy Jones. And none of that's his face, but he works it so well. Oh, yeah. He's got tentacles everywhere, and they, he's still like, blah, 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 blah. Are we admitting that we rather just watch Pirates of the Caribbean? Only the first three. And the yeah. third one I'm still a little iffy on. I walked out of the theater on the third one. Oh, really? When the woman turned into a bunch of crabs, yeah. I gave up. Oh, that was a weird moment. Yeah. I could. I didn't know. God. This was an era. This was a common era where sequels were shot back to back. Yeah. And it shows. Yeah. I remember seeing those movies and not knowing that Theodora was going to be a bigger character and then turn into a crab woman. I did think. <laughs> a bunch of crabs. A bunch of crabs. I did think when she was in it, I was like, they make her look so ugly in this i bet she's gorgeous in real life and then i watched her in a movie and had no idea that was her because really yeah she was stunning i watched that will smith movie collateral is that what it's called is it... i think so wait no collateral isn't that um I'm gonna look it tom up. cruise oh you're right that's the two that's the uh jamie fox and tom cruise yeah yeah what am i thinking is it collateral beauty that's it she's great in it okay yeah um, but she's gorgeous. She's, like, absolutely stunning. Um, yeah, no, now we're just going on a Pirates of the Caribbean tangent. All right, we'll get back to Elizabethtown. All right. Wait, before we do. What? Okay. There's something so insufferable about Orlando Bloom, and I think it was passable when we were in the 2000s. And at the time of this movie, I did think he was handsome. I wasn't in love with him like so many other people were because of Legolas. But yes. now looking back on it retroactively, I'm like, he's not that good looking. He's like a Drew Baylor level good looking, but he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He had a very 2000s look about him. Tom, he's fine. Yeah, he's he's okay. You need to know he's he's fine because he tells you a hundred times in Elizabethtown. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. Nobody asks Listen. you. We want to know what you want for breakfast. I'm fine. I only have a plan to get on an exercise bike and stabby stabby. Yeah. So emo. Drew plans on going back home after this and getting back on that exercise machine. The whole time he's on the plane, uh, sparkly, glittery, pixie dust Claire just starts talking to him. And you get the idea that she can tell that he's miserable or grieving. So she tries to talk to him. And I, I know you said earlier something about, like, you said something earlier that made me think about all of the one-liners that she has in this movie and how I feel like it's more about these things that she says rather than creating any compelling, fully developed character. 
Yeah, she just kind of says the right thing at the right time. Right. Like, she literally comes in, swoops in, delivers all these, you know, moments. She, she breaks through his hard exterior mm -hmm. and gets in. And she, like, for some reason is really affectionate to a stranger. Oh, and now I remember what I was talking okay, about. Okay, okay. Okay, so, like, at least with Garden State, there's, like, a clear reason they the two of them start talking. Mm -hmm. However heavy-handed it may be. In this movie, we have to assume that an airline stewardess was very attracted to Orlando Baylor mm -hmm. and decided to make it her mission to talk to him as much as possible and as obnoxiously as possible while on this red, you know, overnight overnight flight. Mm -hmm. So we have to assume that she, out of the her own decision making, said, "This man's attractive. I'm going to talk to him." Because right. there's no other context or lead up as to why somebody would talk to you like on a plane for that long, especially when for mo like half of the time Orlando Baylor was being dismissive, mean, and didn't want to talk to her. Yeah, kind of being a dick. I don't know. Maybe she saw she saw Lord of the Rings and thought, "I'm gonna get with Legolas." That's the only other reason. Right. Like that's the thing. Like it. It's so fat. Like if you want to look at it logically. It only makes sense if you look, if you can say, like, she was drawn to him for superficial reasons. Mm -hmm. Or we can go the spiritual route and say that she's actually a manic pixie dream girl. And literally her entire purpose is to just make sad, droopy Orlando Baylor's life better. And I think that's why Nathan Rubin um, came up with Sir Nathan Rubin. I'm gonna, I'm sorry, man. I'm gonna butcher his name a few times. Nathan Rabin. Because um, she does do that. This is the clear cut example of what he's saying. Textbook definition of the term that he created. She just appears. And when I was younger, I was led to believe that it was more of the attraction. And a lot of the things she says later in the movie, like when he says, um, can I see you? And she's excited. She kind of has this like nailed it moment and then when she's leaving and she says I will miss your lips and everything attached to them there is that genuine sexual attraction there but it, it doesn't play out like that even with the things no. that she says and does they just don't seem natural it does seem more just like oh my fairy pixie godmother dream girl is here yeah yeah so What's interesting is when you compare that with Susan Sarandon, when she talks about meeting her husband, she says, we literally met in an elevator. Yeah. We met in an elevator and left the people we were going to marry and just fell in love. Yeah. And there's something beautiful about that. And she sells because, this whole like, movie. Because that's the thing. She sells it. She sells it. She sells the, the nuance of attraction and love and just that sometimes these things just happen right you know like sometimes these things do and i think that's what they were trying to portray with claire mm -hmm. but it's not that like it's not that at all it's quite the opposite she was deliberately making this effort to annoy him until he said oh, i guess she's kind of cute right and this movie definitely relies on early aughts technology yeah because the whole point is that he does not have GPS to find 60B. So she draws him these little doodles and elaborate directions because 
if you're a flight stewardess, that means that you know how to get through every route, every highway ever. And they talk on their phone and there's that dramatic scene where they close the flip phone shut. Yeah. Yeah, I still love that moment when they have been talking all night and they decide to meet in person. And then when they finally see each other, they clip that flip phone shut. And I was like, ah, this would not be as good if it were an iPhone. And also, he would not have the need for directions throughout the entire movie if he had GPS. That is true. Although at this time, I'm sure like GPS was a thing, just not on your phone. Right. You needed the actual Garmin machinery. Which, if this were, like, a regular Joe Schmo character, I would be like, yeah, of course he doesn't have it. But this guy just lost close to a billion dollars for another company. I'm sure he could afford a GPS. Yeah, yeah. And then, so they end the flight. And also, like, the whole time they're talking about names and people of those names. And that was also one of those bits where I feel like, oh, this is just for selling a bit. This isn't really a character. Even though... I did kind of agree when she would say things like that. Like, I've never met a Mitch I didn't like. Or, oh, Ellen's are always trouble. Like, I did like that line when I was younger, but now I'm just like, oh, this is clearly just to sell an idea rather than a character. Although, uh, fun side note, uh, an Ellen is in trouble. Yes. Yeah, she's not wrong. (laughs) Ellen is in trouble. There is an Ellen in trouble. And it's it's kind of Ellen's fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. So yeah, back to the story. Right. So he is now in Kentucky. Yeah, and the whole time she's like shouting out to him, like, "Don't forget sixty B." And then she does that thing where she clicks the little imaginary camera. That'd be weird if you just saw somebody doing that in the middle of an airport. Somebody would be a little confused. It made me uncomfortable. Right, exactly. You don't know this guy. He's a stranger. Why are you taking a mental photo of him? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's, like, getting lost, and he's, like, trying to find 60B. He's trying to find Elizabethtown. He does. Voila. Um, and then I feel like also this is another part of the movie where, like, okay, now we're setting the movie in, into motion. They do it multiple times. I don't know. Yeah, no, I got you. Yeah. What's weird is it was so jarring when we actually get introduced to the family. Because they are not at all, like, there's no real, like, like what I was saying before about with, with at least with Zach Braff, mm-hmm. you felt like he could be related to his family. Yeah, yeah. Nothing about Orlando Bloom screams he's related to, to everyone in Kentucky. <laughs> everybody it's courtney uh here with another editor's note so we spend a lot of this episode wondering why orlando bloom doesn't fit in the role of drew baylor and then uh, tom and i found out literally the week of the release of this episode that ashton kutcher admitted in his hot ones interview about a year ago that he had the role as drew baylor Uh, They originally wanted Orlando Bloom. He couldn't do it because he was making a film with Ridley Scott. So they got Ashton Kutcher and a good third of the movie was made with Ashton Kutcher and he said something 
wasn't right between him and Cameron Crowe. They just couldn't get a good rhythm going, so they part ways, and Orlando Bloom is able to take over the role again. Uh, I think that Ashton Kutcher probably would have been a better fit for this movie, considering he can play that sort of hometown, kid, all grown up vibe a little bit more earnestly than Orlando Bloom. So uh, yeah, just something to keep in mind as we talk about the rest of the movie and uh, how Orlando Bloom doesn't fit in it. Uh, Ashton Kutcher would have definitely been a better fit. Alright, enjoy the rest of the episode, guys! Right. I feel like also they would mostly know what he looked like as a grown-up. Yeah. But, I mean, they try to set it up that, um, you know, he hasn't shown up in years. Even that in Garden State, I feel like they make it abundantly clear. They make it a little bit more heavy on the resentment, but that's fine. I'm fine with that. Because they make it clear that they're upset that they never see him anymore. And it's now all of a sudden we're thrown into this overwhelming scenario where there's a bunch of people and they all want this and that and blah, 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 blah. This is also when I went on Discord and bought some records. So I forgot a bit, a little bit that what happens at this moment. That's okay. I'm sorry. If you would, I'm so sorry. If you would like me to describe, it's such a weird, corny moment when he's driving through Elizabethtown before he gets to his family where they all just seem to recognize what he looks like. So that's the thing. This literally counteracts what I just said. The family does not recognize what he looks like as a grown-up, but then all of these town folk know who he is, and they just do, like, a montage of different townsfolk pointing to where he needs to go, and they're like, this way, that way. And I think the whole point was to show the audience this is the kind of town it's small everybody knows each other everybody really loved his dad but it just doesn't make any sense and it's weird no it doesn't fit everything is forced and heavy-handed like like even before when i mentioned the shoe thing like i get what he's maybe trying to say but it's so heavy-handed and it's just like what else are you trying to say with this right and The things that I did really like about this movie were the things about the family. Like, when he does get to the family and everyone, they do those sort of, like, quick in-your-face takes. That feels a little bit more realistic to me than the whole, like, putting on the shirt and standing next to the wallpaper in Garden State. Yeah. That was more for aesthetic and more for a bit. But what I liked about Elizabethtown was that, like, clearly they are all celebrating his dad's life in a way that he hasn't acknowledged yet, but it's still very overwhelming for him, and you kind of have to please people, and you have to act like you're successful, even if maybe you don't feel like you are. Um, so I did like that. Um, and I yeah. liked the whole family atmosphere. That part did feel really real. Like, that felt like a real family in the South. Especially yeah, that when is true. you've got Paula Dean making you food. True. Who also had some issues after this movie was made. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, I don't know if she's ever fully come back. No, I don't think so. No. I think also she was at a point already where she would have been financially secure to not continue doing anything. That's true. She doesn't have to work anymore. Yeah, she's fine. You know, I I really liked Mark Brandanowitz. His name is not really Mark Brandanowitz, but if any of you have seen Parks and Rec, will recognize him as Mark Brandanowitz. Yep, his name is actually Paul Schneider. Yeah, 
And he plays Jesse. And his brother is Pablo Schneider. Who really? is also um, a pretty big actor. He's been in Orange is the New Black and uh-huh. American Gods. He's in American Gods. So, yeah, I think uh, Paul Schneider just decided he really only wanted to do certain roles. Yeah. And he's a little bit more picky about what he wants to do. Uh. But yeah, so he plays the cousin who has, like, a son. And you can kind of see the dynamics between... Like, him and his dad. Um, I think that his character is just supposed to be, like, what kind of steers Orlando Bloom's character. Like, he kind of navigates the family with Orlando Bloom for him. He's also just kind of like a loner who likes playing music, and that's where we would leave it at. Yeah, he's just kind of aloof. Yeah. There's just one scene where the dad's like, well, you grow up already. Yeah. And he goes, no, man. Yeah. Can't you let me live my life? Yeah. It's like, yeah, but you have a son. Yeah. Like, you're a dad. Yeah. I love the part when, and I I did always love this as a kid, where um, Claire gives him the tape for the kid to watch. And it's just a video of a construction worker saying, if I blow up this building, do you promise to leave your mommy and daddy alone? And all the kids are like, yes, yes. That was a beautiful moment. I did like that scene that a lot because I was like, I want to see this house explode. Right. There was three different angles of that house exploding. Right. It was a good film. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then in the meantime that Orlando Bloom is staying at this hotel where they would be eventually hosting his dad's memorial service, there is also a wedding happening between Chuck and Cindy. And... He is on the phone with Claire, and he decides to steal a couple of beers from Chuck's wedding. From Chuck's wedding, and he catches him. And actually, like I, I really like Chuck and Cindy in this movie. Oh yeah, no, I love them. Yeah, I love the moment where he catches Orlando Baylor. Yeah, and he says, "Are you with Chuck?" And Orlando Baylor's like, yeah, I'm, I'm on Chuck's side of the family. And Chuck's like, no, you're well, not. I'm Chuck. I'm Chuck. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> that was great. And then when he just says, I'm your neighbor, my dad died. And then Chuck has this visceral response. And he starts crying. And he's like, life and death, death and life, all right next door to each other. Of Like, I feel it. I feel Chuck's yeah. love. Chuck gave more emotion in that moment than I think I saw Orlando Baylor give up until that point. That's the entire problem with this movie. Everyone is showing way more emotion than Orlando Bloom. And I feel like that's even the point of Andrew in Garden State. And it still makes more sense to me. It feels more authentic from Andrew's perspective. Yeah, from Andrew's perspective. Because Orlando, because in Andrew's, in, in the case with Garden State, Andrew has been numbed right. by his father as a means to protect him. And it's about coming to terms with being able to feel. What reason does Orlando Baylor have to being such a numb, like, aloof? Yeah, and it's not even numb in the same sense. It's just, he's just so preoccupied with his own shit. Yeah. That he just doesn't seem to acknowledge that anything outside of him is happening. Yeah. And even the discovery for greatness in Orlando Bloom feels so self-serving 
and I feel like they do cover that in Garden State, but it's sort of like the overall feeling of being in your mid-twenties and wanting to figure out where you belong in the world rather than just, oh, I got fired at work. Are you going to lose your home? No, but, you know. I made an exercise suicide bike and I can't use it. My hot girlfriend doesn't want to talk to me anymore. It's like, your mom lost her husband. Yeah. Yeah. You lost a dad. You lost a like, dad. What are you, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I, what did you think of the scene where they show the dad smiling in the casket? Um, weird. It was weird, right? I, I wanted um, to, like, tolerate it a little bit more than... I was trying to assuage myself into liking it, and I couldn't. For me, I have always had this uncomfortable situation at viewings and funerals because I have an intense disconnect between the person I knew and and the casket. Right. And I know that some people are very passionate and expressionate. And I know that, like, I've seen family members jump on caskets and cry and hold and, like, weep over. And I feel uncomfortable because it's such a disconnect for me. Yeah. So that scene really did not play out well for me at all. Yeah, I don't, um, I, I don't feel comfortable around um bodies of people who have passed uh i've had and unfortunately like i've been to enough services and you know uh wakes at this point that i've had experience where i have just genuinely missed the person but it is really hard and it's it's weird you know, there is a disconnect. There, it's not the same, or they dress them up weird. Um, it's uncanny. It's uncanny, and the way they sort of try to make them look normal. And um, I think the time that I actually did feel it the most was with my nephew's grandfather in New Jersey because they actually added a personal element. They like um, he was holding one of my nephew's dinosaurs, like one of his toy dinosaurs, mm. and that sort of was what anchored me to like, oh, this is that person that I care about. Yeah. yeah. So the way that they do it in this is so strange with the smirk. I don't know. It's, it's very weird. And then the whole him just like trying to find a word to describe the way he looks. I'm like, what the fuck are we doing here? This could have been cut. Yeah. I need to find the word. It's so important. But what else is important is my murder exercise bike at home. Yeah. It's like, that's your dad sitting there. Why are you focusing on, like, an advertisement for a word, like, whimsical? It's just so strange to me. It's such a strange choice. Yeah. Um, the only scene, the only reason that scene is good for is the introduction to My Father's Gun by Elton John. Hmm. It's a great yeah, song. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I maybe think that this whole movie was just a large music video for the soundtrack. That, that could be true, because especially towards the end when we get that montage, uh, the, right. the road trip montage. Yes. So, where do we want to go? Because we... I know. There's so much that... We could talk about so much without even breaking down, like, scenes of the movie. Ugh. Because I feel like we're just struggling to get through the movie. I know. 
like we're having a we're having great conversation about the movie but when we're like all right what happened next we're like <laughs> it's like eating kale it's like i know yeah i gotta get through it but god it hurts because it doesn't taste good at all So do we want to just mention like key scenes and kind of go over yeah like different yeah yeah like what scene so we, we get to the family they're daring to decide like there's already conflict because susan sarandon's like no we're gonna have him cremated and the family's like no we got we want him buried in his blue suit right and then orlando bloom's like i gotta mediate the situation but ugh, it's so hard mediating don't let me remind you I lost almost rounded up a billion dollars for a shoe company. God, he's the fucking worst. He's really the worst. Oh. And then Claire shows up out of nowhere and goes, Happy! Yeah. That's Ugh. the way that they like handle Claire. And like when I was younger, I used to love the scene where they spend the entire night talking because when you're a teenager, those nights are amazing. Yes. With a flip phone. Um, she has a knitted cap in this movie that's very. 2000s i was gonna wear one of my knitted caps for you but it, it it's just so pointless right now they they go urn shopping yeah that's not something you should do with a guy that you're attracted to no um and as far as i could tell neither of them are goth right nothing about the context of going urn shopping makes sense i mean i guess you could take it as he needs to do this very difficult thing i'm going to help him which would make sense if you knew him for a little longer than like a day. I think that's the point of her character, right? Is she just appears in people's lives and suddenly it's like she's known them forever, that they've known her forever, even though we know literally nothing about her. Does she interact with any other character at all in this movie? She interacts with Cindy. Huh. Okay, so... Another question I have about this movie, I'm really confused about the time duration between the dad dying and how long or when he decides to go down to Kentucky. But so from what I gather about Kirsten Dunst's character, she after they see each other, she's supposed to go on vacation to Hawaii. She cancels her vacation to spend time with this guy. I'm assuming she's only known for tops 48 hours. Yes, and didn't she have a boyfriend named Dan? Ben. 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 Get it right, Tom. It's Ben. Oh, God. All right, Ben. It's funny because I was telling you the name, but I could have replaced it with any other generic name. And, and I would have believed I would have you. convinced you that you screwed up. So, yeah, she mentions a boyfriend, Ben, and then at one point he even says, is Ben even real? And we never actually know the answer to that question. No, we have no idea. At least in Garden State, Sam is like, I don't really have a boyfriend. I, I was just lying. Yeah, that that's fair. Yeah. Um, who, who's Ben? We, we don't know. Is his name really Ben? We don't know anything about her life. Does she even enjoy being a stewardess? Do we even know a Ben? Do we even know a Claire? I don't we know. definitely don't know a Claire. I know a Ben Kissel of the last podcast network, nice. but that's the only Ben I know. So, yeah, I, I don't really understand. And the line, she says one line where I'm like, that's it. That describes the whole point of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. And she says, I'm hard to forget, but I'm tough to remember. 
or it's the other way around. It doesn't matter. That that line, um, it's like that is yeah, that is the manic pixie dream dream girl. Yeah, I'm hard to forget, but I'm tough. Uh, yeah, it it's mm, it, she never actually like talks about herself in any way. She could be like a, a cancer survivor for all we know. This reminds me of a side side note. This is another movie. Um, a movie I prefer. Yeah. It's a wild movie. Have you ever seen Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? No, I haven't. It's a crazy movie. I think I didn't have an interest in it because everybody was interested in it in high school. It was one of those, like, dorky high school yeah. movies where if you're a cinemaphile, you're gonna watch it. You're like, Or if you're a stoner kid, you're like, yeah, man, Fear and Loathing. But, um, I think I have to watch it again, but I, I think it might still hold up. It might be fun. But there's a line in there that I never forget and I love. It's when uh, Hunter S. Thompson's character, a Royal Duke, played by Johnny Depp, is talking about his attorney. And he, he goes, there he goes. One of, one of God's own prototypes. He's too weird to live, but too rare to die. Yeah. And in the context of this movie, it makes sense because they're fucking weirdos in a bizarre story about this drug-fueled trip to Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. But in this movie, when we're talking about now, Elizabethtown, it just seems like... Like, because that's the thing. In Fear and Loathing, it's that's the whole point of this movie is these mystical out-there characters. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, it's a romance comedy about a very serious subject matter. So for the character to be self-aware to say that, it's like, that's forced and heavy-handed. Right, exactly. And it's literally like somebody watched all these movies and said, I want to make my own Manic Pixie Dream Girl movie. Right. And it's very confusing, too, because one minute she wants to make him think that she's not really into him. And then at the same time, she screams into a microphone, I like you. And I'm just like, which is it? You have a boyfriend, you don't have a boyfriend. Um, what's this? What's going on? And I think that it is like her way of trying to separate herself. Like she doesn't want to like him because he is a mess. And at the same time, like she's hoping that he'll have like the wherewithal to keep it going. Um, yeah. Ugh, it's just. On one hand, he's a mess, but on the other, he is, he is adorable. Right. And like, cause that's the only reason we can assume she wanted to talk to him in the first place. Right. And, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like we could just jump forward into the memorial scene, which I think is the best part of the movie. And the only Susan Sarandon. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about Susan Sarandon's moment. She's so amazing. So like they have the memorial service and. She gets up there in front of his entire family who never approved of her and she starts sort of talking about him in like a regular way that somebody would at a service and then she's just kind of like, screw it, I'm gonna get into how I'm really feeling and that's when people really start to connect with her um, and I mean like, my god, what a monologue. Oh yeah, it was beautiful and... Like I was saying earlier, like, we don't get her movie, her and Judy Greer's no. movie, but God was their story way more interesting, because here's the thing, like, this whole town has issues with her, because they see her as the California girl that stole our son away. Right. But, like, 
she talks about this beautiful moment where it just happened circumstance. They ran into an elevator together in Japan. And that's all it took for this chemistry to happen. And like, you know, you can argue the semantics and the debate of what romance really means and if it's actually like a real thing or appropriate. But in 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 a way that sort of these things do happen. And when you see the it, the only way we know it's real is when we see the authenticity of the people in love. And when Susan Sarandon gets up there and just delivers this powerful monologue, you believe it. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like th this, you know what? That's what it is. Like sometimes, sometimes you just catch that person and that's all it takes. And you know what? A lot, logistically speaking, it's kind of ridiculous but then you see it and you're like i believe it this movie spends the entire time forcing the chemistry between kirsten dunce and orlando bloom susan sarandon steps on the stage for five minutes and delivers this monologue you know throughout the entire movie that the other person she's talking about who she's in love with in this movie is gone she's talking about how they met you've never even met this character and you feel it so much more. You feel the truth of their love in the five minutes that Susan Sarandon speaks than you do for these other characters for the entire movie. Yeah. Yeah. And that was that was the moment that captivated me. Like the, her performance was worth it. Her performance was worth it. And the whole movie should have been reminded, about her. Yeah. It reminded me of this moment. I was listening to another podcast with a YouTuber I'm a fan mm -hmm. of, and they were talking about how him and his girlfriend met, and it's kind of awesome, but it's Aww. like along the same lines of like happenstance and just things happen. Instantaneous. And it, instantaneous, but it works because like on paper you look at it and you're like, how does this work? But then you see the love and you're like, it works. Mm -hmm. And it's, it was as dumb as she was, she at the, she was, it was Gus Johnson. Gus Johnson on YouTube. He, I mean, he doesn't need my support. He's a big guy. But <laughs> but he, his girlfriend lived in Seattle. And she was casually dating this guy. And they're like, she was saying that they were both too nice to tell each other. They weren't into each other. But they just kind of kept casually chatting for a little bit. And he sent her this video of the YouTuber Gus Johnson and said, you should check this guy out, he's funny. And she liked his videos and followed him on Twitter. And then Gus Johnson followed her back. Aww. So, but she took it as like, a, oh, is this one of those losers who does an auto follow feature to gain more followers? That's funny. So she messaged him as a joke, like, are you a bot that's following me? They're gonna unsubscribe. Uh huh. And he responded, he goes, no. And then they talked, <laughs> and then that's how they started dating. That's and I'm really like, cute. it's so cute, but they like, like that's the kind of thing romance is. That's the kind of thing that, like, that's how love happens. It's just this almost unexplainable chemistry that just happens between people. Mm -hmm. And that that is not what you get from Orlando Baylor or Kirsten Dunst at all in this movie. But Susan Sarandon, she she delivers it. And the male, her husband, isn't even in the movie. Exactly. You know he's passed. That's the whole thing, is that he's not around anymore. But that's why I want her movie, because here's a woman who lost the love of her life. She's not accepted by his family, so she has to send her son down there. And meanwhile, she's trying so hard to find her own personal identity after the loss of her husband. 
that she just does all of these different things and all these crazy things are happening. I want to see that movie. Oh, yeah, 100%. And then, like, this beautiful, epic monologue. And then, um... The little tap hey. dance. Yeah. I love the little tap dance. I've just... I always loved Susan Sarandon in this role. Um, you know, she reminds me a lot of, like, my mom and what my mom's had to go through and how I emulate this widow's courage to get up there and do this thing because her husband loved it. It's just yeah. so beautiful. And, you know, the family comes around and they have a laugh and they, because like we said, on paper, none of this makes sense. Like, no. yeah, how do you just, how do you marry someone you met in an elevator? But you see the vulnerability and raw passion that Susan Sarandon, you know, gives off and the family gets it they get it and they accept it and that's why her story is the best story and then um then the movie throws a five minute scene of paul schneider playing Freebird. yeah because something crazy had to happen at the service and um i, I guess i i did kind of like that because um you know when we had my dad's service uh, we had some mishaps because uh i i'm not i don't spend enough time at church and i didn't know that uh, you were supposed to give the gifts at a certain time so my sister just kept screwing up and we didn't know we didn't know the cue i had no idea so we just kept going back and forth up giving the gifts and then the guy would say no no not right now and then everyone would laugh and i'm so happy that we had those moments of laughter and mistakes were made because that's real life and I think my dad wouldn't have wanted it any other way so I do like the moment where uh Mark Randanowitz sings free bird and then the <laughs> fire alarms go off and everyone's running out of the service because the paper mache bird they made yeah. to fly down during the guitar solo lights on fire right <laughs> And then when Orlando Bloom says, this moment is perfectly Claire. I'm like, dude, she had nothing to do with this. She just showed up. Yeah, this isn't Claire's situation. This is your dad. Yeah, she did nothing. I don't know if he even remembers at this point that this is about his dad. No, because he's just focused on his big fiasco. It's all about and Claire. Him. And Claire. <laughs> oh, my God. What a mess. And the shoes. And the shoes. And, the shoes. and Ellen. It's all Ellen. about Ellen. Ellen How and could shoes. this hot girl betray him? It's so and, annoying. And Claire doesn't like wearing shoes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's wrong with this movie. There's so many, like, other things. Like, there's a good movie happening while a bad movie's happening. No, there's a good movie with Susan Sarandon and Judy Greer. And then there's this mess. Ugh. Yeah. Um, I, I the only thing I wanna mention one more thing that I wanna mention about this movie. So they Yeah. Um so oh, I don't know. I don't understand why they did this. But so um Whimsical Claire, before she says goodbye, gives him this huge 
map that she made with CDs, mixed playlists, uh, illustrations, and Polaroids. Yeah. She just saw him that morning. When yeah. did she have time to do all of this? You know, I was going to ask you the same thing. Okay, thank like, you. I, I know that he made her a promise that he would take a road trip because road trip and i agree road trip i mean i think a road trip is still a fairly american ideal but going on like a trip in general right is this universal phenomenon of like putting yourself out there in unknown territory introspection yeah help understand yourself so she make he makes the promise and at the end after this whole fiasco she gives him a big binder full of shit and I just kept thinking the whole time, not only did how, what time did she have to do this? What time did she leave his hotel room in the morning? Because it couldn't have been that early because they had that whole walk of shame scene where... Which was uncomfortable to watch. It's uncomfortable now. It's very uncomfortable. I think even then it was uncomfortable. Like, I know it was... Then it was supposed up... to be more cutesy. Yeah, but yeah. like... The walk of shame thing, just calling it that is really uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, I... Because re- it's like, only I, referred to with women. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It really is. Like... Uh, they never it's... show a, a guy leaving a woman's apartment in the same clothes, looking disheveled. It definitely all has to do with how she physically looks after she leaves. A guy yeah. can leave a woman's apartment looking exactly the same, wearing the exact same clothes, and nobody would bat an eye. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's so weird that that was a thing, the walk of shame. Because it's like they're cheering, and it's like, why? Why can't you leave this woman alone? I guess it's supposed to be like the audience is like, woo, they finally got together, and everyone around them who met them within the span of two days is happy that they had this thing. And... I don't know, it's really, it's really uncomfortable now. I will say, like, when you're in college, or at least when I was in college, and there's a moment sort of like that, the last thing I want is any attention on me. Because you already put yourself in a very vulnerable position with somebody you just met, and the last thing I want is for people to bring it up and be, like, put a spotlight on you. You don't want an entire wedding party shouting and cheering for you when you leave someone's room. Yeah. You don't want that, Tom? I don't. I don't want that now. I didn't want it then. But you're right is that it's only, is like quite literally, there's a whole moment. There's a scene. There's literally a scene that is designated to having everyone react to Kristen Dunst leaving. Yeah. But then immediately five seconds later, Orlando Baylor shows up. And it's like, wait, did he not get the same reaction? No. Did no one like put him on the spotlight for getting laid? Because nobody pays attention to a guy. A guy looking disheveled is just a guy on a Tuesday. It doesn't look any different. But with Especially women, Orlando Baylor. Yeah, with women, it's the same exact dress. You can't wear the same dress over again. Like that sort of mentality. Maybe the makeup's disheveled. Maybe the hair is disheveled. You look groggy. Heaven forbid a woman look tired. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, so then she somehow has time to not only put together this map of very specific locations. Yeah. With very specific albums to go along with very specific sites at very specific times of day. Right. She has, like, how, like, because that's the thing. It's so unreal and unbelievable. That is the manic pixie dream girl element. 
is and then, it's magical. Yeah. And then quite little, not only is it so meticulously planned to the T, but like she even then has the forethought to show up at the place that he is going to end up and leave clues also, for him. Who knew that there would be a pair of his failed shoes at the farmer's market? Who sells sneakers yeah. at a farmer's market? How did she also know that he would show up just at, show up at this very specific news like vendor? Yeah. At the very specific time when the article was going to come out. And have a very specific song to play during that time and say, you are allowed five minutes, then you must move on. It's like, that is, she had like, what, 30 minutes to do all this? Right. And also, what if somebody else purchased the magazine that she put the note in? And then he just grabs the next one and there's no note there. And then he just leaves because he, he, he messed up. Or because she messed up because there is no way that this would work out. Yeah, and also her plan could fail very easily if, God forbid, he has to stay at one of those hotels an extra night. Yeah, or like a tire breaks or something. Like a, uh, a what's that? A flat tire. That's a thing. Yeah. I know cars. Like, like, I'm assuming this was another attempt to solidify the theme that love is so unpredictable Ugh. that it happens so randomly. Ugh. But again, the difference between Orlando Bloom and... Orlando Baylor and Kristen Dunst's characters is that it's still so meticulously planned right that it could easily like the idea with Susan Sarandon is that neither her character or her husband's character planned anything it was just happenstance it just happened it's a forced happenstance like they yeah. want you to think it happened so naturally and so of the moment and they're both like just like they're just going as everything comes at them but it's like she had to plan this entire thing she had to put yeah. together this entire book of directions with playlists and do you remember how long it would take to export a playlist on the cd it took a Back while this was 2005 yeah. i think it would have taken it would have taken definitely about 20 minutes to get one cd done right and and that's if she had a good computer right and the moment where he is driving and he's the moment where he's driving and he does scatter his dad's ashes as he goes along i do i do like that and i did like it a lot as a kid it was just a lot easier for me to focus on it as a teenager rather than now i just couldn't stop thinking about how she could plan for every step of his journey and draw out everything in that short period of time yeah, and then, like, yeah, it's, like, that's the thing, is that it's so, un even, the, even the story I told about the YouTube couple, yeah. that was all happenstance. Nothing about it was planned. Right. She did not plan for the guy she was casually dating to send her a YouTube video and for her to fall in love with this guy. It was all just things that happened, like, love and life just happens so unpredictably and the only thing you can really do is be open for the opportunity mm -hmm. not meticulously plan this guy's entire road trip to make sure that you two end up at the same location at the same exact time on the same exact day at the same exact spot in a farmer's market full of people the world's second largest farmer's market I uh, mind was, you i thought it was a carnival when i was a kid i just assumed <laughs> she told him to meet at a carnival and i was like oh i like carnivals 
And then when I saw the sign as a grown-up and it said farmer's market, I was like, this is no farmer's market. What farmer's market looks like this? I see no moms walking around in Lululemon leggings. The world's second largest farmer's market. Where they sell sneakers by... Yes, they sell failed sneakers. Yeah. Um, and also, the thing I don't understand is like, yes, visually this is interesting because he's on this sort of scavenger hunt. You're figuring out that it's going to lead to her. And when it comes out, like, as a movie, maybe that's exciting. But as a grown-up, you're like, why didn't... Why did she tell him that things were not going to work out after they slept together instead of doing this whole thing? Like, why didn't she just make it work then? Why did she have to put this whole thing together? Because she's the manic pixie dream girl. You're and she, right, Tom. She has to have superpowers because I don't understand how any one person can accomplish and have the foresight to make this all work. She needs in the to span put of... this together so that way he can learn to live life. And he can go on this adventure. Not her. She's not going on the adventure. Even though she talks about like all the times that she did all these great things. It's not about that. No, it's not about her at all. It's uh, really... Yeah. Um... Uh, I think... I mean, what else is there that we can talk about? The murder bike? <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he made a murder bike. Yeah, it's his mental health is never addressed in this film. Let's talk about that. Yeah, um, he made a murder bike. I mean, I mentioned that at the top, right. but I mean, he quite literally took apart an exercise bike, took the handles apart, and had them constructed in a way that if when the bike's wheels move, the handles will repeatedly stab forward towards yep. his chest and he duct tapes a very sharp knife to the end of it and the only reason he doesn't use the murder bike is because the phone won't stop ringing and it's annoying and then the knife because of his poor design which could have been a funny reference to his poorly designed shoe the knife being held by the duct tape falls apart right and he literally says to a girl that he just slept with he's only known for a few short days uh, that he plans on killing himself, but doesn't say that objectively. He says he has a dark date with destiny. Oh my god. If the fact that you slept with a guy who's suicidal isn't enough to make you think, like, oh, I gotta get out of this situation, don't sleep with a guy or don't get in a relationship with a guy who uses the term dark date with destiny. Yeah, yeah and um, if he made one murder bike, what's to say that he won't make another murder right, bike? Right, exactly unchecked mental health of this entire movie he might you know it's funny the moment i saw the murder bike i thought of um burn after reading oh my god i love burn after reading when when it was the george clooney's character makes that ridiculous sex contraption oh my god yeah, i totally forgot it's the same mechanics what a great movie oh man you know it's so if imagine Kirsten Dunst in the movie sees his murder bike and goes, you know, if you change the design a little bit, we can patent this. Right. Right. And then he's like, oh, another failed invention. And she's like, oh, no, I, I triggered something. You know, maybe we approached this the wrong way. Instead of doing a Manic Pixie Dream Girl series, we should have done a bike contraption series and just had Burn After Reading and Elizabeth Town in it together. The murder bike. Weird bike machinery series 
Oh, now I want to watch Burn After Reading. That's how you know this movie has aged the poorest. If you, we've talked about other movies that we want to watch instead of this one. I want to design on my own a murder bike. Just have a scene (laughs) name, a scene band called Murder Bike. (laughs) Murder Bike. But instead of an I, it's a Y. Keep the E at the end, but make it Murder Bike. (laughs) I'm going to draw a Microsoft Paint, a poorly designed Murder Bike, and post it on Instagram. Please do. Do we want to put a song from this movie on the list? No. That's fair. Um, <laughs> no. I'm going to say no because the only movie that had the biggest attention from it was a Ryan Adams song, the Come Pick Me Up song. And yeah. he is not a good person. So fair. We're good here. We can ask the yeah, question. Yeah, that's fair. Would this movie hold up? No. No. Give me the Susan um, Sarandon movie. Yeah, uh, that's the thing. We talk about yeah. how... we In the series, we've talked about how even if we believe things would hold up today, that some things would be different, this movie would just need to be overhauled completely. Yeah. And the entire focus would need to be on Susan Sarandon and Judy, and Judy Cameron Greer. Cameron Crowe. Make up for Aloha by making the right Elizabeth Town movie. He made the movie oh, Aloha. Oh, you didn't know that? Right? It's called Aloha? I knew I knew the movie Aloha. I didn't know oh, he made it. Oh, that's his movie, Tom. Oh, it's his movie. I feel like at this point, if he made a movie just about a murder bike, he would still redeem himself. Oh, I'd watch that movie. Yeah, the murder yeah, bike. Yeah, it's like car. It's like the car. It's like Christine, but with a bike. Have you seen the car? You must have seen the car. It's the car? pre-Christine. No. It's on Netflix. You should watch it. We watched it a couple of weeks ago, and we loved it. It's hilarious. This looks fantastic. It's It's so um, good. It's on Shudder. I don't know. It's on Netflix, too. That's where I watched it. Okay. I don't know. It's a gem. James Brolin's in it? Yes. And the whole time, Joe and I were like, my goodness, look at those eyebrows. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really good. It's so great. So, movie recommendation to all of our audience listeners. Watch the car. Yeah, watch the car. Um, maybe consider rewatching the Pirates of the Caribbean movies or Burn After Reading. There's a better bike in that one. Yes. It's more designed for pleasure yeah. and it's logical and it does unlike more for leisure. Orlando Yeah, unlike Orlando Baylor's device, it uh doesn't fall apart. Yeah, I think I think this movie just sort of Reestablished for me that maybe Orlando Bloom is not a very good actor. No. no. I I'm I'm not likely to believe. As a it. kid, I thought that this movie was just like it was a rom com that Alyssa and I knew were was a gem, but just like wasn't liked by a lot of critics because there are plenty of movies you grow up loving that you're like, ah, oh, the critics definitely didn't appreciate this, and I feel that way about Eternal Sunshine. Um, but in this. In this case, uh, the critics were correct. I was wrong. Yeah. 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 Well, I won't say you're wrong. There's obviously, like, there's reasons we like certain things at certain times. Right. But, um, but, um uh, Murder Bike. Murder Bike. Jessica Beals, Very curly hair. Yeah, super curly Alec hair. Alec Baldwin. 
Yeah. Being out following. Judy Greer should have been the lead. She should have been the person that is trying to... She should have been the person to go down to Kentucky. Maybe he could have been the one with the kid, and she could go down to Kentucky. Yeah. When we release this episode, can we... Well, the week of, like, the next... The few days leading up, can we just have a Judy Greer appreciation where we just Absolutely. post... Make posts about Judy, Judy I was Greer. definitely going to post my shirt. Just be like... Yes, Judy please Greer. do. Get the shirt. Everyone should have this shirt. All right, and with that, everybody, we have concluded our episode on... Very long episode on Elizabethtown. We had a lot the to say. The worst is over. Soon you'll get the best of me. Yeah, we have two more movies in the Manic Pixie Dream Girl series. Then we'll have a break where we cover a secret topic. And I only say secret because I forgot the, the topic we had discussed. And I trust that you'll yep. tell me and I'll be like, okay. Yep, we've got two coming up and then we've got something else happening. The horror series. Ooh. I am very excited. I have been planning this series. I've got my stuffs ready. I have my themes ready. I have my movies yep. ready. I have my machetes ready. It's going to be a great series. We have machetes ready, not murder bites, machetes. They just seem more efficient. Like, get the job done. Very important difference. That would have been a much shorter movie if um, Orlando Bloom just thought to use a machete. God, that's what's so annoying about it and so melodramatic about it's, it. Yeah, it is like murder bites. He wanted, like, you have to assume the only reason he did that is that people would see. Oh, he made a murder bike to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And then, once once again, never addressed for the rest of the... No one's ever like, Drew, I'm worried about you. Please go, go seek help. You threw out all your things and made a murder bike. Yeah. Oh. All right. But with that, guys, thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at remember the zero zero aughts. Did I get our handle? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Remember the aughts, zero zeros. Remember the zero zeros podcast on Instagram. And follow us, like us on Spotify and iTunes. iTunes. Whatever you prefer. We're on both now. Everyone wouldn't leave me alone. So now we're on iTunes. Yeah. Because people got a thing about iTunes. I know, right? But uh, yeah. with that, guys, stay tuned. Uh, be sure to check out the next movie if you want to keep in touch with us. Um. Yep, the next one is 500 Days of Summer, 500 starring Days of Summer. Zoe Deschanel and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And then after that is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is the wrap-up. Yes, what a, uh, what a solid one to end on. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, and yeah. some people might be like, you're cheating, that came out in 2010. To that I'll say, we make the rules, and yep. we don't care. We count the odds as 2000 to 2010. Exactly. And we can change it at any moment because you know what? Nobody was sure at 2011 what we were going to call this decade. Yep. And you can comment how much you don't approve. We won't read it. Or, you know, be, be fine with it. Yeah, actually, we might. Whichever you feel I like. I might read it and get a little sad, but that's okay. Oh, don't be sad. All right, All right guys. Thank you and stay tuned. It's not really me. Bye-bye. real me is a spectacular failure. You're always trying to break up with me. And we're not even together. We're not? We're not.